Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 180. I'm Sean. I am Hernando, and I fear nothing. And we are here this week to discuss the Oscar-winning Encanto. Very clearly the buzziest thing that happened at the Oscars this past Sunday. I can't think of one thing that people are talking about over Encanto winning the Oscar for the best animated feature. <sighs> I'm not taking the bait. I am not taking the bait. I will say this. I, I have to. Because what is getting overshadowed is that Coda won. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. And, and that is a huge step in the right direction for the film industry. And what I really don't like is everybody is glossing over Lady Gaga's adorable moment with Liza Minnelli when she bailed her out when she was having trouble reading from the prompter and she was getting all confused. And Lady Gaga leans in and the mics were still hot and she goes, I got you. And it was just the sweetest thing in the whole world. Yeah, there I mean, yeah, there were a lot of good moments that came out of the Academy Awards this year, but I think the most exciting thing for us as great as some of those moments were um and continue to be, I think the most excited that we were that night was when they announced that this film had won its award that it so desperately deserves. We were so confident that it was going to win. And we love Raya too. I'm not throwing shade. Right. But we were so confident that Encanto was going to win. We held the review for this week. Yeah. So we are just going to really jump right into it because we are so excited to talk about Bruno, even though we're not supposed to, and everything that Encanto has going for it. Now, if you are new to the show, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Uh, if you are a listener that's been with us for a while, you know that from time to time, we like to do linear reviews. Typically speaking, we hold a linear review for a movie like a Star Wars film or a lot a of the Marvels. Marvel, something yeah. that's, it's got a lot of layers. It's convoluted. There's backstabbing. It has a three hour runtime. But <laughs> in this case, uh, we're doing it for Encanto for a point that you made that actually, we've seen the movie so many times, but it wasn't until the latest viewing that you pointed this out to me. Well, I was sitting there taking my notes, and I really couldn't separate song from story. And I was like, how on earth are we going to talk about this? Bruno aside, how are we going to do this and hold talk about the music and hold talk about the characters when they are so ingrained in this story? Yeah, everything is intertwined. There's really no like good way to discuss the film without breaking down the characters and the music as we go along. It is a character study. So we're going to go scene by scene. So I think the big question is, did the film... I mean, I've already buried the lead. We think the film deserved to win the Oscar. Do you think the film deserved to win the Oscar? Are you sick and tired of talking about Bruno? That is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay 
up to date with all of the newest releases. We meet Mirabelle Madrigal and her abuela. Abuela tells us how her husband Pedro was killed as they fled their hometown in Colombia. After his death, uh, abuela, whose name is Alma, her candle miraculously gains powers and protects her and her triplets, Julieta, Peppa, and Bruno. They thrive in their new village, and the Encanto not only grants each of her children a special gift, but has also brought their home, Casita, to life. And as the kids become of age, they get to open a door, it gets them a special bedroom, and then they get their special powers. As the years have gone on, each descendant of the Madrigals receives a gift to help the community and protect the community thanks to the Encanto. On this day... Five-year-old Antonio is set to receive his gift, and we learn that Mirabelle did not receive hers. Uh, Mirabelle, 15 years old. I didn't realize that until I looked it up. I didn't either. I figured she was somewhere in that 15 to 17 range, but we know that she is the youngest of her set of siblings. Right. Um, before we get into the amazing Madrigals, though, what do you think about them starting on the flashback? I actually liked it a lot because I felt like it, um, again, burying lead here. I think the pacing of the movie is fantastic. For a movie that has a runtime of, I think, an hour and 52 minutes, it doesn't feel like a movie that's almost two hours long. Uh, I love the pace, and I love that it gives enough backstory so as to get you up to date, but not enough where there isn't a mystery behind it. Right. I mean, obviously, they have to explain how everybody's getting the gifts. So I can definitely appreciate that they started with Mirabelle on her day and almost tell the rest of the story as a flash forward. Yeah. I mean, they time jump to when she's 15. Um, I go back and forth about how I feel seeing Abuela's flashback at this point. Because not that it needs to land harder later, because it lands plenty hard when we see it fully play out. I just kind of wish they'd held it. I agree because we basically get the same exact flashback twice, um, which unless you're killing the Wayne family is something that you typically <laughs> don't get over and over again. The same scene flashing back time and time again, uh, especially in, in the same movie. Um, but I feel like with this is just m my perspective. I feel like if you didn't show it, I think the audience is just too in the dark about why any of this is happening or why we should care that it's happening. Right. And it is helpful to see Julieta, Peppa, and Bruno when they're kids and start developing those characters a little bit, or at least, I mean, really, they're not developing them, but at least be able to put the names to the faces because this cast the family is huge so they do need to give you something right away to start being able to tell these characters apart um and we certainly need a reason to care about abuela but 
I agree with what you said. I feel like it is, I mean, it's not really fair to say it's the same thing twice because they do, they, they hold quite a bit and they go a lot deeper into it during uh, Dos Orguitas later. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, if all we saw was young Mirabelle and Abuela telling the story, there there's not enough to cut away from in that scene where if you don't have the flashbacks, it's going to feel like it's lingering too long in that story. Yeah. And we get the first song of the film. The first bop. It's immediate. The family madrigal. Um, This might be the best cast intro of all time. Agreed. Um, Yeah. I mean, to your point, the film's a bop, which is not a phrase I've ever used or will likely ever use again. Um, But it, does it is an earworm um i think that stephanie beatrice who plays mirabelle she does such an incredible job with it because like the song <laughs> the pace of the song just goes up and down and there are moments where she has to motor mouth through it and she does it flawlessly i really do love that this is how we start the film off Staying with Stephanie Beatriz for a second, what was your reaction when you found out it was her? Because we knew Stephanie Beatriz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which we love. And I knew she voiced Mirabelle from the jump when we went to see this in theaters. I don't think you did. I think you found out after it was already like on Disney+. Plus. Honestly, I thought that she was Louisa. Until I started seeing her do a lot of press. Okay. Just because of how we had seen her in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, I figured that's just... I, I, I Admittedly, I thought she was typecast. Um, so I was shocked and surprised and impressed to see that she did Mirabelle because it's a total departure from... Brooklyn Nine-Nine for her. It's a totally different character. Um, and, and I think that it showed her range incredibly. It, she is incredible. Exactly. Um, she is the heart and soul of Mirabelle. And from the time we saw this in theaters, the moment I think we got to Mirabelle saying floors, I was like hooked immediately. And, and I was nervous because... We don't like Moana. Spoiler alert. If you have not heard our Moana review or any other episode, basically, where we've talked about Moana and talked about how much we don't like it. Uh, we have tried very hard. We we just don't get it. And part of that is because we don't jive with the music. So for me, I was pretty nervous going in and I was like, this movie looks amazing. It, it looks like it's going to be like Coco, which... I absolutely love and I was like I hope that Lin-Manuel is able to redeem himself in our eyes with the music here and from the second that song started it set the bar so high for this film and and the entire time I was like white knuckling my seat in the chair just so nervous that it was going to fall off after that and it it really doesn't the music this song just keeps escalating and it's incredible, but the music throughout the rest of the film just keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, But I do want to break down 
the scene of the amazing Madrigals a little bit more. Sure. Uh, as you said, best best intro to a cast of all time, but the character development here is incredible. Mirabelle is not only explaining everyone's gifts, but we're also seeing what the family dynamics are, and they are also developing Mirabelle so much from the jump. It's not just her rainbow outfit, which I think should be fairly obvious as far as a visual cue, that she really is the linchpin that holds her family together because she is comprised of all of the colors that each of her family members is wearing individually. And throughout the film, I think Abuela is looked at as that person by the rest of the family, which we're going to break down quite a bit, but really it's Mirabelle. And the fact that they dressed her in this way is the way that they are telling the audience that she's the one holding it together. Um, and what I also love is that they develop her in the dancing. That's another thing that hooked me right away is she's like hopping and bopping around and she's all bouncy and everything. But it's very hard to catch when they come up on the first chorus, the rest of the family is is dancing on that second floor. Yeah. And you're uh, they have the camera positioned behind Abuela, so you're looking out at everyone sort of through her POV. But Mirabelle does the steps backwards. So it sets up that she is out of sync with her family from not even the first chorus of this film, or of this song. Yeah, I, I mean, the brilliance of it and the brilliance that is Disney animation and the... Steps that they took, I mean, to that level, to consciously and yet subconsciously at the same time, develop this character and to make her the outlier in this extraordinary family um, is just... it's something that you're only going to find in Disney animation, that to that level of care. And, and detail and... That goes throughout the rest of the film, even when they introduce her father and her uncle, uh, who don't who also don't have gifts, obviously. Uh, They talk about her father being accident prone and, you know, he's in the scene dancing with Felix and Felix is all smooth and suave. And even her dad is kind of, you know, just bopping along, but he's not very coordinated. Yeah. Augustine. Yes. Um. Yeah, um, and he's not coordinated at all, and he keeps getting stung by bees. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about the animation here. I mean, typically speaking, you know, like I said, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that eventually we discuss the animation after we talk about the music. But since we're kind of lumping all of this in together in this linear review, it's impossible to not discuss the animation as we kind of break the film down because to your point as Mirabelle's hopping and bopping around one of the notes that I had was that the animation is incredible which is like like the stupidest blanket statement of all time but um it's the colors and and you already pointed out the colors in her outfit it's the fabrics the yes. stitching they took great care to really nail the Colombian culture, the body language, the dancing, the landscapes, the textures in the building. This is all in the first, like, three and a half minutes of the movie that all of this is standing out. So 
it's an incredible way to bat leadoff here and to set the film up. I know everybody is obsessed with We Don't Talk About Bruno, but as far as... I don't know that I want to say it's the best song yet, but best sequence. I mean, after we wa- after we saw this in the theaters, this was on YouTube. I must have watched it a hundred times. It, it was it's just incredible. And I understand that this film did go to Disney Plus. It had a very short theatrical run, um, and I understand why certain people waited for it to come to Disney Plus. I understand because it wasn't being charged as a premium release on Disney Plus. And I understand that people still are not comfortable going out. But with that being said, I feel like to really appreciate the animation, the colors, and everything that we've talked about in this number specifically, I feel like if you didn't see it in a movie theater... I hate to say it, but I, I feel like you were missing out. This, for a first time through, probably needed to be seen on a big screen, you know, not something that's 42 or 32 inches. I mean, there's nothing like the theatrical experience, and it looked absolutely gorgeous. But it's funny you should bring this up. Listeners who have been with us for a while, you know that we just moved into a new home, so we've gotten some new TVs recently. And because I'm a nerd, I like to go through and manually adjust all of the color settings. I work in post-production. It's what we do. What can I tell you? So last night after you went to sleep, I popped on Encanto again just because I wanted to watch it, not even, you know, to discuss it. Um, And I started futzing with the colors. And I couldn't really do it because, first of all, you should do it to live action. You have to match the skin tones. But it is just so bright and so vivid and it was so distracting, I just couldn't set them the right way on this movie. But it's gorgeous. Theater and on TV. I I don't think that you're losing that much, but theater's always going to be better. Um, I want to talk about Mirabelle here. Obviously, we're going to talk about her a lot. Um, she tries so hard. You right? know, she just tries so hard. It's impossible to not fall in love with this character. Um, And I mean character, not just Mirabelle, but I mean her character as in, you know, just her personality and what she prioritizes and how in spite of the fact that she doesn't receive a gift and that she didn't receive a gift, she still believes that she is as special as everybody else in the family. And she does all these little things to make Antonio's night special, and all she wants to do is help. So let me ask you this question. Do they make Abuela too dislikable from the start? Because Mirabelle is just trying so hard, and at every turn possible, Abuela keeps striking her down, telling her, stay out of the way, mind your business, don't get involved... And you know that Abuela kind of has it out for Mirabelle because she never got a gift. We haven't yet seen that play out, but we know she didn't get a gift. Is it too much, too early, too soon to make the matriarch of the family dislikable? That's a fair question. It's a good question because... For for me, 
it's not about the matriarch being dislikable. It's it's how you dislike a grandma. She's a grandma, you know? I can't even imagine. I, I was fortunate enough to be very close with my grandparents. And my two grandmothers were angels. I really, th- there there is no world where I can wrap my mind around this. Uh, but with that said, you do, especially in a film like this, because there's not a clear cut big bad, you do need to villainize someone. Uh, and I'm not saying that Abuela should take the fall, but I think that that is why they did do her flashback before we get to Dos Oraguitas later on, because you have to give everyone something to relate to and you had to soften her and make us pity her a little bit because otherwise to answer your question yes she would be far too dislikable out of the gate i mean she makes mirabelle sleep in the nursery mirabelle sleeps in the nursery with antonio because in the casita they don't have another place for her to go because she didn't get a door. I mean, think for a second just how harsh that is. I mean, Mirabelle, in many ways, is very similar to Cinderella in that way, um, where she is forced to sleep in accommodations that are really not appropriate, Um simply because she didn't get a gift. So, like, if you really break down Mirabelle's treatment, and it's from Abuela, it's not really from the rest of the family. I mean, the rest of them rag on her, but it's Abuela that really does kind of spearhead this mistreatment of Mirabelle. That's really interesting what you pointed out about Mirabelle in the nursery, because... I never really viewed it that way because to me, Antonio is her younger cousin. So I always just thought that that was Mirabelle's room and they were roomies until he theoretically goes on and gets his own door, which he does. Right. But I never really looked at that as a punishment for Mirabelle that she's, you know, sort of banished to this room uh, even though it is decorated for a child, it, it's really not her room until they get Anton- all of Antonio's stuff out of there later on. Um, but I totally agree with you as far as her being mistreated. Uh, I don't think it's just Abuela, though, that's really, you know, sort of twisting the knife. I think a lot of that comes from Isabella, too, because yeah. there is probably the biggest sibling rivalry between the two of them and you know that really is what triggers everything and what really starts setting the ball in motion is that you know Mirabelle already is the outcast and she does a very good job of hiding it and she's championing everyone else to a point where the first time that I saw this film I was like For a family that puts so much emphasis on family, how is it that this prophecy made everything fall apart? But on further viewings, this is where you really need to start to pay attention is that 
the family was never perfect because of the way that they're treating her. Obviously, the cracks in the casita are what represents the family relationship. But the reason that it's all starting to happen now, it almost seems random, but it's really not. It's because it's Antonio's day and Mirabelle is having trouble keeping, not keeping her emotions in check, but it's just a very hard day for her. And she is overcompensating probably to convince herself just as much as everyone else that she's okay. Compounded with Isabella is about to be married off and now she's knocking Mirabelle down. So these little tiny fractures that were always there are now getting exposed. And that is what triggers everything else that happens. Yeah. So that night, Antonio receives his gift of being able to speak to animals. And when her family seemingly ignores her, Mirabelle sees a vision of the casita falling and the candle burning out. And she is seeing these cracks. Um, But it turns out that she is the only one that can see it because she goes and tells Abuela that this is happening. She interrupts the party after Antonio gets his gift. So when Abuela doesn't see it, she doesn't believe her and is quick to reassure everyone that the magic is strong. Um, Let's talk about this as well. Um, This scene with Antonio walking to the door. He's terrified. And he's just so cute. Little five-year-old Antonio. You gotta love him. What the brilliance of this scene is is that it is so heartwarming and yet heartbreaking at the same time because Antonio does not want to walk to the door. He's petrified of what will happen if he does not get a gift because it happened to Mirabelle. But the only person that he will walk with to get to the door is Mirabelle. And that's where you see, the for the first time, exactly what happens when she does not receive her gift. Mirabelle having to walk Antonio up those stairs is just pouring salt on an open wound. But I feel like this is so on brand for her. They obviously have a very special relationship. I love their relationship. I think it's so sweet when she gives him an animal since he's leaving the nursery and it's something to remember her by and their time together and to comfort him. And that is what she always does as the support system for her family. She knows exactly what they need and she will bend over backwards to do it for them. But this is where it goes one step further where her own needs get completely pushed to the side and she has to step up and be everyone else's not only support system, but in this case, literally hold them by the hand and walk them to it. Yeah. And I think that other than continue to drive home the point that she is the most likable person in the film. And to your point, the one that holds the family together, she's the glue It makes what happens next even harsher because when Antonio gets his gift, and we're so happy for Antonio, um, immediately Abuela says, let's all take a family photo. 
and they <laughs> they they leave Mirabelle out of it. Like they don't even notice. She's completely excluded. And I got to be honest with you, it just sort of seems mean and callous. And this point is going to get repetitive and I don't quite care enough to not keep saying it. Um, Do you ever? It, no. Abuela is just completely dislikable. Right, because even before the photo, her response is, we have a new gift. She doesn't even care what it is, just that they have one. It's not, look at my grandson can talk to animals, which is pretty darn cool. I'm sorry, but Peppa's family has the better powers. Yeah. Peppa's side. For sure. I mean, no disrespect, because Julieta can, can cure people, which is amazing, but... They have the coolest gifts. And I think Antonio, other than controlling the weather, probably has the best one. Abuela does not even care. She just cares that they got one and they can save face in front of the whole town. Yeah. What? This is a perfect night. But and, and let's take a photograph. But it's a family photograph. And, and, and because Mirabelle is excluded from the family photograph intentionally... It's not subconsciously, it's intentional. Abuela basically says, you're not really a part of this family. And more to the point, nobody, not even her own parents, stand up for her. They all buy in to this cult-like mentality. You hit it. That Abuela has produced in this household. And as the film goes on, they make reference to the fact that they all acknowledge that Abuela is too hard on Mirabelle. But they all follow her down the primrose path anyway. Right, because the most anyone ever does in her defense up until this point is her mom pulls Abuela aside and she's like, this is going to be a really tough night. Go easy on her. But that's it. Not even, you know, this is my daughter. She won't stand up to her mother for her own daughter. She'll try and go to bat for her. She'll try and soften it. She'll try and make things easier for Mirabelle. But she's certainly not going to put Abuela in her place to make her daughter more comfortable. And you would yeah. think that because her father and Felix married into the family, that she would even have a special bond with them, even though they're never going to truly understand what she's going through because she is of the bloodline and they have married in. That's not, you know, to knock them down a peg, but it is a different situation for her. But even her father is not defending her. And you would think that he'd maybe even be the one to go to bat because he's going to understand it certainly more than than either Peppa or Julieta would. And, and how Abuela is looking at her as less than. I think the problem is that Abuela just intimidates her father and intimidates Felix again 
it's this cult-like mentality that what she says is written in scribe and right, wrong, or indifferent, we are just going to follow everything that she says and everything that she does regardless of how it makes other people feel. It's toxic. I want to talk about the actual moment, though, where Mirabelle does not get her gift because I think this is something that is up for debate for a lot of people because we see everything leading up to that moment in the very beginning where we are in present day that it that it's her day to get the gift. Right. We've seen the flashback of Peppa, Bruno, and Julieta going to their doors. Uh, this is when we actually see what happens to Mirabelle. And, you know, it's intercut with Antonio's gift, which is really well done. And again, you said it before, pacing is incredible. It is such a subtle thing that happens. But everyone, but Mirabelle does it. They grab the candle go straight to the doorknob. Mirabelle, because they've done such a good job of setting up this, I don't want to call her a nervous character, but she is around Abuela. Like she knocks the candle over with the gifts that she's made for everyone. And she sets the little paper on fire because she's nervous. She wipes her hands on the dress. And that is a tick that carries throughout the entire film. But she does it right after she touches the candle and before she touches the doorknob. Did she wipe the magic off? Um, well, you don't really have much of a movie if she did. If that's all it took was wax residue, <laughs> um, you, don't, you don't really have much of a film. Uh, I understand that people are looking for things. I understand that they're hoping that there's some Easter egg hidden somewhere. But if you're telling me that this entire movie exists because she wiped her hand and nothing else, it, it kind of seems like a very nothing action that led to a very toxic environment for her and her entire family. I mean, if that's it, it is pretty brilliant as far as the attention to detail and such a natural human reaction in the moment would bring down the house of cards. I think there is a definitive answer here, though, because Mirabelle doesn't do anything differently when she brings the magic back. I think this all falls back to the family relationships because when she gets the doorknob later on at the end and the casita is rebuilt in all its magical glory, she didn't, there, there was no candle involved in that. Yeah, very true. She doesn't touch the Encanto to make that happen. Right. Um, let's talk about Waiting on a Miracle because this is the next song in the film, and and she sings it as the photograph is being taken. Um, I actually think that because We Don't Talk About Bruno has become such a huge hit, and I think that because uh, the family Madrigal has become such a... Not not a commercial radio hit, but it, it has become 
obviously synonymous with the film. I think that this song has become completely overlooked and underrated um, because there's so much pain and there's so much emotion and there is so much more character development because you have seen a character in Mirabelle do everything that she can to make her family happy. She knows that she's sort of the outsider, but she believes that she's special and she goes into saying, I'm not fine. I'm not fine. That's a very big moment and a very powerful statement for her. And I think that this song, unfortunately, just do... I I, I feel like the song is a victim of circumstance at this point. I think you need to look at the Spotify numbers because they will tell you differently. This song is very popular, but I agree with you that it's not getting its due. I love absolutely everything everything about this sequence from the moment that flash goes off in the picture and it puts everyone else in slow motion while she's in real time weaving in and out of them I think that is just so brilliantly done as a visual uh and the song itself I mean Stephanie Beatrice we didn't even mention this she was pregnant while they were in production and for the most part everybody was still working remotely so Hats off to everyone involved in this song. Uh, Beautifully sung. And this, for me, completely redeems Lin-Manuel Miranda of Moana. I'm not saying the guy's not talented. I'm just saying we didn't like Moana. I absolutely love Hamilton. But this is when... We saw it in theaters. I leaned over to you and I said, he finally figured out how to write a Disney song. Because, I mean, we said it before, we did this entire episode linear because we couldn't really separate song from story. But this song transcends this film. Yeah. I mean, the sequence is beautiful, but if you take everything else away and you don't, if you've never seen this movie and all you hear is this song you can still connect to it without knowing story plot or otherwise just because of how powerful it is the emotion behind it this is like on par with any of Howard Ashman's I want songs for the main character uh but it's a different kind of I want song and that's I think what impresses me most you said it before I'm not fine we've really never seen a character address a character flaw quite like this even when Elsa discovers her powers she embraces them right away we don't see a character just sit down and admit defeat not that she is because she never just she's not like wallowing in this but we haven't seen a character take a look inside of themselves quite like this yeah uh this is perhaps the deepest deep dive that we've ever seen of any character in a Disney film. Certainly, it's the biggest deep dive I think we've ever seen in a Disney song sung by a Disney heroine. It really is a song that, to your point, transcends the film. Um, Maybe the Spotify numbers are there, um, 
I'm not, I mean, you would know better than me. I'm not going to fight you on that. But I just think because Bruno is such a thing and, you know, it, it did win an Academy Award for Best Song, though not this song, I, I feel like it's just slowly going to fade. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about how many good songs came out of Frozen and all, all, the only thing people can talk about is Let It Go. Um even in the second film, there's a lot of good music, but I feel like most of it gets overlooked. I I can see this song someday in the future getting a second life where people say, why did we focus so much on we don't care or uh, we don't talk about <laughs> Bru- we don't Freudian t- slip. Why so many people? I, I'm thinking that eventually they're going to say, "Why did we keep talking about we don't talk about Bruno?" And why was this one overlooked? I agree with you. I think this could have a second life when we get to the parks, because again, it transcends the film. I could, I could picture walking through the park. You know, whatever they do with it, whether it's a cavalcade or if they do a place in Epcot, which I hope they do, um, I could hear this as the song in the background. I think we don't talk about Bruno would be far too distracting. Um, I I could see jiving to family magical, but I, I feel like this is more like, like this is the fireworks show worthy song. Yes, it is. Before we move on, I want to talk about the end of this sequence where, you know, it's another development moment where she obviously feels like she can't talk to her grandmother about anything. And in the song, at the very end of the sequence, she confronts her and she's saying, this is what I would do if I had a power. And, uh, you know, it's it, it really feels like she's just trying to not only please her grandmother but just to get her to notice her for who she really is um but the the most ironic thing is that abuela looks down on her and and she casts her aside you would think that the two of them would have the strongest bond out of anyone you know her father and felix aside because they're the ones without the gifts, Abuela. I don't see you running around talking to animals or healing anyone. It, I mean, Abuela has no gift. That's what I'm speaking. saying. She should be so much more bonded to Mirabelle because they don't. But I guess because, you know, she's the matriarch and she is the one who received the Encanto in the beginning... I don't know, maybe she she's going to give herself a pass. I don't know. But you would think that that's what would make them the tightest out of everyone. Yeah, and that's not at all their relationship. The house breaking, um, in a way, sort of gives the rest of the movie away. Um, I don't think there was necessarily a way around that. But when we saw the film for the first time and the house started cracking, immediately I said to myself, well, this is a metaphor for the family, isn't it? I guess Mirabelle is going to be the one that's going to put everything back together, and that was her magic all along. 
that's the exact thing that happens. So either I'm incredibly intuitive, which I'm not, either I watch too many movies, which I do, or they just gave too much away with the symbolism. I thought that the first time around, but there is so much more to notice and so many layers of the onion to peel back the more times you watch this film. Um, Is Mirabelle having a prophecy a little on the nose? Yes, but... You know, I I just got done saying you would think that she would be so bonded to Abuela because they're the ones without the gifts. The person that Mirabelle is the most bonded to is the one who we don't talk about. We're going to talk about him now. Not the song yet. We're going to hold. Uh, But aside from the fact that, you know, Bruno was crush under the weight of the family obligation and the pressure that Abuela put on everyone, they are connected by the vision and seeing the house crack. And that may seem like kind of an odd choice because the visions are Bruno's gift. So why would Mirabel, who doesn't have a gift, also have this prophecy Uh, But the answer is staring us right in the face. It's been staring us right in the face the entire time in the form of Mirabelle's glasses. Because as we mentioned earlier, she has the rainbow dress and she is comprised of everyone in her family. But it wasn't until like maybe the fifth or sixth watch of this that I noticed the the green part of her wardrobe is those glasses. So this film has been telling us the entire time that that is what they share because Bruno's color is obviously green. Um, you know, obviously we know what the hoodie looks like, but it really stands out when the whole family is lined up taking this picture and you see all the colors on display, except for Mirabelle, uh, where that gap is, where the green should be. Uh, so it is a huge visual cue the entire time that that is how they are linked because she is seeing not only what he sees, but she sees it in everybody else. That's why she's able to see the cracks, not symbolically in the house, but she is actually seeing the cracks in her family because she's the one much like Bruno, who's getting ripped on. Very astute. Well done. I try. Even I didn't see that one. The next day. I've also watched this like a million times. You have no idea how many I was times I've say, actually watched fifth it. Fifth or sixth view. I think I've watched it three times, maybe four. Okay, you got a few a few viewings on me, clearly. I, I love this film. I always put it on. I, I don't want to say like in the background because... That is a disservice to the film, but like when I get a free moment and I can have TV on, like that is my go-to. The next day, her sister Louisa, this is Mirabelle's sister Louisa, who has superhuman strength, confesses not only that she also feels overwhelmed with her family burdens, but also that when Mirabelle had her vision of the house cracking, she felt her magic weaken. Mirabelle swears to save the magic and her family 
and enters the forbidden tower of that reclusive Uncle Bruno who was accused of always making bad things happen. Um, okay, let's talk about a hint that gets dropped by Dolores, one of the other cousins that gets mentioned in the grandkid roundup. One of the other cousins. You this are huge doing family. Dolores dirty. Dolores is probably my favorite. Right, but you you can't ignore the fact that they had to do a grandkid roundup earlier in the film because there are just so many madrigals. Dolores also hasn't had her moment yet, but she is about to. Go on. She's going to have it soon. Um, she has the gift of being able to hear basically everything. So the next day, they sit to have breakfast. You call that breakfast or was it a meeting? It was. Or a cult. Well, that's, you said that's, it before. It, this is the thing, right? It's a meeting. Well, it's a breakfast that Abuela has, but it kind of is, again, kind of like a cult meeting where it's just another uh, it's just another instance where uh, Mirabelle is just shot down again and again and again. But she knows that something is up with Louisa because Dolores told her I could hear Louisa's eye twitching last night. And that's Louisa's tell. But she also says that she hears the rats in the wall speaking. And upon first viewing, you just think that she can hear the rats in the wall. And you think it's kind of odd that the rats in the wall would be speaking. So you also think maybe she's just truly an off-the-wall character because she's got this little tick where she just, like, kind of makes this high-pitched squeak Ooh! constantly. Um, it's not until probably the second viewing that you realize that what she's really hearing, and I'm, I mean, I'm spoiling it a little bit because we haven't gotten to this point, um, she's hearing Bruno. She's hearing Bruno in the walls talk to the rats, narrate the rats. I love that they dropped this Bruno hint early. Yeah, it's certainly not something that you're going to catch the first time around. But I, I don't know. I think Dolores was in on this quite possibly the whole time. We, we will circle back to that statement when we do talk about Bruno. Right now, I want to get to the other bop. As you said, that Louisa is starting to lose her powers and she decides to confide in Mirabelle with the anthem that every older sibling never knew that they needed, surface pressure. Um, I'm the oldest sibling and I'm not going to make any friends today. <laughs> Um, you actually did make a lot of friends last week when you confessed to not rewinding Oliver and Company. Yeah, that you was had a lot savage. of su a surprisingly a lot of support on that one. I was a savage ten year old. Um, I'm about to lose all those friends. Um, 
there is just I I like this song for Louisa. I like the moment for Louisa. I like what it means for her. There is just something about this tune that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, you've already lost my friendship over this one because this song is absolutely amazing. Everything about it. I know that I said Waiting on a Miracle is probably the best song, but it's a toss-up. If you ask me on a different day, it's either this or Family Madrigal. Uh, surface pressure, like I, I love the lyrics. I love the beat. I love that they did this hyper-stylized music video. I love how they synced up Louise's dance movements to the tick, tick, tick. I just think they knocked it out of the park with this. And when she gets to the end and it's give it to your sister and never wonder if the same pressure would have pulled you under. I was like, oh, my God, my millennial heart. Like she just gets it. Don't roll your eyes. Um. I think the lyrics are good. I think the lyrics are great, actually. But for all of the things you just mentioned, it's every reason why I don't like it. I When we walked out of the movie for the first time, we recorded Monoreal in a minute, and we were driving home, and you looked at me, because at that point, we didn't know the titles to any of these songs, really, because we had just seen the movie for the first time. And my critique in Monoreal in a minute was I wish it had the music that Coco did because all of the songs in Coco are incredible. And you looked at me and said, it was that drip song you didn't like. I know it. And I was like, yeah, uh, just that was the one that could. I think um, because it seems like they just kind of inserted a music video into the middle of the movie, it just seems like it doesn't belong. I think the message belongs. I think the the moment for the character belongs. But the music and the whole sequence just seems completely alien to the rest of the film. And it's funny because we lambasted Shiny for that exact same thing. Yeah, but we it, did. I'm like, here, I can't get enough of it. Um, no, and it's funny because a lot of people are are echoing that same sentiment as, oh, I so connect with Louisa as the older sibling and da 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 da. But it's just funny to me because, you know, everybody complains so much about how there's reboots of television series and all this nostalgia. Why do you think that is? It's because the people that have experienced those things that are your age are grown up now and in these jobs. And that's why we get songs like this. And we see this kind of thing on screen that we connect with so much because there are people our age that are in these roles and they're just giving it right back to us. I think that uh, Jessica Darrow did a, I think she did a good job with, the song the interesting thing too is that she doesn't um louisa does not have what you think would be like the disney singing voice um it's not flowery it's not terribly upbeat she's not belting um the song is kind of harsh and jagged the way that she sings it is harsh and jagged and i think it does work for the character 
Um, so it's funny because I, I'm giving this the song all of this credit. So you'd think that like I'd be a fan of it, but there's just for me too much working against it, where it just kind of seems like you jammed something in, which is a shame because I think it's actually a great character moment. I I get where you're coming from though because we kind of said the same thing about um how far I'll go like. I get it. I understand it. I see what you were trying to do. I see what it does for the character. It's beautiful, but I just, it's not my taste and I, and I just can't get into it. So I will give you that one, but, and I, I do even see where having never done anything like this in a Disney film before and like doing this sort of music video breakdown, it's very different, but like, I, I just love it so much, and I love the song so much. I'm totally willing to turn my head the other way. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, when they did it in the second Frozen film with Lost in the Woods, it was done sort of satirically. Um, and I think it worked better in that moment than it does here. Uh, but I think if if you compare this to How Far I'll Go, I think this is the better song I think this is the better moment because my big problem, one of my big problems with how far I'll go is Moana sings it, but Maui kind of bails her out over and over and over again. And the ocean bails her out over and over and over again. Everything that Luisa's saying, Luisa means it, it's Luisa's experience. It's Luisa's feelings. She can back them all up. Compared to that, I think that this is the superior song, but that's not saying a lot given the fact that I really, from start to finish, strongly dislike the music in Moana. Here's my question, though. As much as I love the song, why now with Louisa? We can see the cracks and justify them for Mirabelle because... Like we said, it was Antonio's big day. He got the power. She didn't. Uh, and now the next big thing is that they're building up to Isabella's proposal, which, by the way, that was another moment in the breakfast scene I want to circle back to real quick. Abuela doesn't even care that her granddaughter is about to get engaged. Nope. She asks Dolores when it's happening because Dolores can hear Mariano in the village and spoils the whole thing. Unreal. But I don't feel like Isabella getting married is enough. Like, I don't think Louisa is jealous of her or anything. So why why now? Why is she losing her strength? I, I realize it ties back to the Casita's magic, but I feel like we don't have a catalyst for Louisa to let her guard down. Yeah. Um, like Mirabelle gives her the safe space to do so and, and allows Louisa to confide in her, but I just don't see what is triggering Louisa to crack under this pressure. I think it's, I think the problem is Louisa's cracking under the pressure because she's never felt weakness before. I think the fact that she's feeling her powers flicker. I think I think the bigger thing here is that Louisa, for as strong as she is, I think they don't 
indirect they don't directly say it i think they're kind of indirectly saying that she has a bit of an inferiority complex um because isabella is the perfect child she's the golden child she's the one that's got the fiance betrothed to her and luisa's job her function is to carry all of the literal and figurative weight so when she can't do that anymore I think that's where she starts to have this sort of nervous breakdown. Okay. We're coming at this from two totally different ways. You're seeing it as the breakdown comes after the powers start to waver. Yes. I thought she started breaking down, and that's why the powers are going with it. No, I think she I think she always felt the weight of her responsibilities. I think it was always a burden, but she could manage it. The minute she couldn't manage it anymore, that's where she starts to panic. That makes sense. Um, Are we ready to move on here? Yes. All right. So, Mirabelle goes into that Bruno Tower, and there she finds a shattered glass sheet that reveals her image with the broken casita casita behind her, Uh, this being one of Bruno's visions. She comes out of his room, and that's where Peppa and Felix confront her because she's not... She's trying to hide where she has gone, but she's also oddly being open with it with certain people um peppa and felix being two of them and that gets us to the biggest song in the film which is we don't talk about bruno before we talk about that song though i do want to discuss the set quote unquote that is Bruno's tower. Um, I think that his room, his tower, I think the set is excellent. I love the fact that it's in ruin. It has fallen apart. You see that this is obviously not a room that's been well kept, so it implies that it's been vacant for quite some time, but you can also see that it was not a room that was ever really being maintained. And I think it was done intentionally because I think even before Bruno was cast out, I think he was already sort of a recluse. And this is not a character that we've even really seen yet. Um, and yet you know so much about him just based on how that room has been designed. This is why I love doing this podcast and discussing these movies, because for as much as you and I have a read on each other, there are still things that we will look at from completely different angles, and this is one of them. To me, because of Bruno's gift, I look at his room as the sands of time. I don't I don't necessarily see it in ruins. I mean, you get that sense of abandonment because you know that he left. Um, and I think it's interesting how there's an obstacle that Mirabelle has to, to face 
because it doesn't seem like any of the other rooms would be. Well, you know, that's kind of funny, too. The only other rooms that we see are Isabella's and Antonio's. We have no idea what's going on in all of these other rooms. True. Peppa's room, it, it could be just as much of an obstacle course, maybe worse. It, if it's, you know, going up against Mother Nature to get in her room. Jim Cantor lives in there. I know it. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that that was kind of my take on it was that it was the sands of time because he sees the future. But that is something that I, I've been wanting to bring up uh, because we sort of started hitting on it when we were talking about Louisa. This film pays such great attention to detail each set of siblings is connected by their powers for example Louisa Isabella and Mirabelle if she had one it would be brains beauty and brawn uh Peppa's kids represent hear no evil see no evil speak no evil then for Abuela's kids I've heard the argument made that it's past, present, and future, which I hope is pretty self-explanatory. But I feel like past and present are kind of a reach. Julieta is healing past wounds. Peppa is the present because she's controlling the weather. And like I said, the rest should be fairly obvious from there, right? But I think it goes a step further than that. I think that Abuela's triplets represent your physical, emotional, and mental health. As I said, Julieta, she is the healer. Peppa needs to get her emotions under control because it doesn't just rain when when she's feeling angry. As we're going to talk about, it rains on our wedding day. She dances in the rain at the end of the film. I I think she's supposed to represent emotion. And for Bruno... I think it's mental health, and I think that that's why nobody wants to talk about him. Well, let's talk about him, and let's talk about the song. If you're a parent, you can fast forward. Um, Speaking of, Josh Gad has actually publicly apologized for Frozen because now he understands what it's like to be on the receiving end of a song. This song is everywhere it has exploded and it actually has made people forget about let it go um and for some people they're happy about it and for others they kind of just feel like here we go again um this song is a massive radio hit and frankly I think it's worth the hype. I will go on record and I will say that I am not tired of hearing this song. You don't have a kid. It doesn't matter. I think the song is that good. I'm really going to... I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. Um, <laughs> I actually think that in terms of a structure, I think this is superior to Let It Go. Can confirm, Sean is sleeping on the couch. I don't mean, and I love Let It Go, and I defended it. 
when we reviewed Frozen, and I still love it, honestly. I'm not tired of hearing it. Um, I think that if I can still sit there and listen to the music from The Little Mermaid 30-something years later and it puts a smile on my face, get used to it, parents, because you're going to listen to Let It Go for the rest of your lives, uh, just like our parents listen to Under the Sea, Part of Your World, A Whole New World, Can't Wait to Be King. You know, all the songs that you loved, well, guess what? Now your kids are going through it, okay? You can add this one to the list as well. No, but I think it's worse now. I think parents have it worse now because we had cassettes and CDs and you had to put them in a device to play them. Now, if your kid gets a hold of your phone, game over. And they all know how to work Disney+. Plus. Right. They can call upon this song anytime they want. But I act, And I love Let It Go, but... I think that this song, Let It Go emotionally has a lot of layers. And it's an incredible character moment. But I think as far as the music itself goes and melody and pace, this has so much more structure. It's got more layers. It's more complex. Um is it the emotional release that Let It Go is? No, but I think that Let It Go to me is like, it, to put it on terms where I think I'm trying to get people to understand this, Let It Go is that popular top 40 ballad, and We Don't Talk About Bruno is like that weird song off the concept album that doesn't like makes sense but it does and that's why you like it so much and I think to me that's why I put it ahead of let it go I know that you're gonna I know that I don't have any friends but um I I have no problem saying that anyway least of all me here is why let it go is the better song and I'm not just gonna make the Idina argument I actually think I have a valid argument to back it up. Let It Go transcends the film. It's like what I said about Waiting for a Miracle. You can listen to it without having seen the film and you will find things to connect to. We Don't Talk About Bruno is so rooted in story and character. I mean, you can enjoy the song without having seen the film just because it's that good, it's that entertaining like you said, it's layered. It's got a great beat. The lyrics are fun, but there is not an overall theme of the song that goes beyond the film. This is just so rooted in the scene. It doesn't speak to a broader audience. But with that said, I I don't want to make it sound like I don't love the song because I absolutely do. Uh, Like I said, it's, it's catchy it's fun, but it's also the sequence here that really puts it over the top, starting with Peppa and Felix. It amazes me every time that I watch this, not just the partner dancing that Disney managed to pull off in the animation, but the chemistry between the two of them. Like, you know, they've been married for a long time, obviously, but you can still that you can tell that they still have so much fun together. There's so much love between them. And it just amazes me how much comes across in that first 
dance that they do together because they're always, you know, no matter how many times they're weaving in and out of other people, they just always connect back to each other and their eyeline is right to each other. And and this is just within the first like 30 seconds of the song. Yeah, Carolina Gaitan and Mauro Castillo play Peppa and Felix. Yeah, the singing and the voice acting is great, but the animation is even better. We have never seen chemistry like this before, and I was trying to think to myself why, and I realized that this is what happens, Disney, when you don't kill a parent. Yeah. And you let a married couple go. Yeah. but It's, the... it's, it's rare in this company that this would happen. It, it is, and that's why they have that great back and forth, too, not just in the dance, but, you know, every time Peppa says something, Felix comes behind her and he, and he chimes in, thunder, and, and I love it. It's hysterical, and that, that moment of, are you telling the story or am I, is so relatable to every single married couple. It's just such a great moment. However... This is why I think Let It Go is the better song because obviously they bring in everybody's part at the end of the song and it's all layered on top of each other and it's great. It's fun. But that moment works in the moment between the two of them, not when it's, you know, blended in with every other part of the song. That is the only knock, the the minutia knock that I have against this song. Otherwise, I I think it's brilliant. I love their sequence. I love when Dolores comes in and they do their little shake and shimmy. I love that they pepper Bruno into the background, which I have looked. I think this is his first appearance because I have been searching for him and, and pausing the film to see if he's in the background of any of the bigger sequences and he's hiding in plain sight because I thought that would be so brilliant. But I don't think he is. But if anybody else has caught him, listeners, please write in and let us know. Um, This is something that we had sort of touched on before. I think Dolores always kind of knew that he was there because she hears everything. She blames it on the rats. And I feel like she is sort of hinting at this to Mirabelle and if you look closely to everyone else singing about Bruno it's like a caricature of what he is and in her scene when he's in the background I I mean it's really him he is lurking up there right so I think that they are trying to tell us that Dolores knew the whole time yeah um I think it's up for debate. I think your point works. I think your point is valid. Um, Dolores, like, in and of herself, is sort of a mysterious character. You don't really know what to believe. You don't know how much she knows, how much she's hiding from everybody. Um, Yeah, yeah. I could see if she knew the whole time and was trying to cover it up. It would make sense. I have one more note on We Don't Talk About Bruno. And then, you know, I don't know how much else there is to say that has not already been said. So I don't want to be too repetitive and spend far too much time and beat the song. But uh, 
I, I just love how the whole sequence builds to this time for dinner and Mariano's coming. And in that moment, when they're setting the table, they literally frame Bruno's hiding place. This he has been, as I said, hiding in sight, this plain hiding in plain sight this entire time. And the filmmakers are telling us he is right there behind that wall. It's brilliant. It is. So we get out of the song and Mirabelle's father finds out where she has been. But he tells Mirabelle to keep it a secret, as you mentioned before, her sister is uh, sister Isabella, who can produce flowers at will, that's her gift, is about to become engaged to Mariano Guzman. Unfortunately, Dolores, with that super hearing of hers, hears where Mirabelle has been and has the inability to keep it to herself she tells everyone about it at this dinner scene, ruins the engagement for which everyone blames Mirabelle again. It is just such a consistent theme that Mirabelle is blamed for everything. Meanwhile, she caused the least amount of actual problems yes. during this proposal. Camilo's shape-shifting out of control. Felix is spitting water across the table. Luisa is having a breakdown, an actual breakdown. Yes. And Mirabelle's clearly acting a little off, but she didn't do anything quite like the rest of the family did to offset this proposal. Yeah, um... You know, a lot of things. There's a lot of things happening here in what is kind of a quick scene. First off, her father, I love how hard he tries. This is the first time in this entire film that you are seeing somebody actually trying to help Mirabelle. No one at this point has come to her defense. They've talked about it but they shy away from it and they back away from it because they're uh, terrified of Abuela. I knew I would get there. Um, This is the first time that anybody really has tried to help her, including her parents. So I wish that this would have come about a little bit earlier, but I'm glad that finally somebody is starting to figure out a way to protect her. And you know what's so funny, though? He's protecting Mirabelle, but his other daughter is about to get married. Isn't this the part where he grills Mariano? No. Instead, he's in fear of Abuela, as you said, and he knows he just has to go along with this, whether he actually likes the guy or not, because we just need to keep spitting out babies, and they all need to get their gifts. And for what? status in the town that's the other thing it it eventually brings it full circle and gives us the reason but it really just all seems showy at this point you know not congratulations on your engagement my granddaughter it's this is gonna be so good for the encanto yep me it's gonna be good for me right and even you know that Mirabelle had the, the, the shattered 
vision that she put back together and then the rats all take the pieces and everything. It's not until this point when it gets in front of Abuela where we see the cracks, but if you turn it the other way, the cracks get put back together. Yeah. And Abuela has this family so whipped that Mirabelle is conditioned to think that she caused the cracks. Not that this prophecy was about putting them back together. She doesn't even, it doesn't even occur to her that she could be a part of the solution. Right. Even though it's right in front of her eyes. And not for anything, that has nothing to do with the fact that we've seen the film multiple times. When we saw the film the first time, I said, well, clearly this swings both ways. Um, You know, Peppa is starting a torrential downpour because she can't control her emotions. All hell is breaking loose. And, you know, Abuela, this is something that kind of bothered me the first time. But, But the more I see this movie, the more it continues to bother me. Abuela knew what this vision was. Yes. The entire time. And yet, she acts shocked and angry when it starts to become reality. Your son Bruno showed you the vision. You knew it was coming. And yet, when it happened, you can't figure out how to control your own emotions. So not only has she made the situation bad for the entire family, but she has spent years, years of her life sabotaging her relationship with Mirabelle over it. Forget the fact that you don't know whether she's breaking or fixing the casita. You knew something was going to happen. You knew there was time to figure it out, to rationalize it, to prepare for it, and to fix it. And yet, You squandered it, you sabotaged the relationship with your granddaughter, and as we later find out, you cast out your own son because all he did was see the truth. Yeah, you just hit it exactly on the head. And this goes back to what you said before about her being dislikable because for somebody who is all the time the family, the family, the family, it's good for the Encanto, that is juxtaposed directly against her driving that same family away. If you love your family so much, you know, this isn't a case of loving them too hard and and smothering them where they want to break free of you. This is a case of nobody is ever going to be good enough for you. Yeah, and that is later called out in the film. But we as the viewer can see that that's exactly where this is going the entire time. I want to circle back to what you said, too, about the prophecy. I think in Abuela's case, this was like a self-fulfilling prophecy as far as pushing Mirabelle to the point where to, to her breaking point, as is symbolized by the cracks. Right. Uh but what you said about Bruno, too, is that are these all really prophecies or is he just dropping some truths that, that nobody can handle? Because even in Isabella's case, you know, Mirabelle doesn't really remember him because she was too young. But everybody else actually had some time. Like Bruno was at everyone else's door ceremony, except for 
Well, no, he was at Mirabelle's and then and not at Antonio's. Right. But he disappeared after she she didn't get her gift. Yeah. He told Isabella the life of her dreams would be promised to her and her powers would grow. That actually does happen. Yeah. The life of her dreams was not to marry who her family wanted her to. It was to be free to make her own choice. And as a result, her power does grow. Right. And we're going to see this shortly because after all of this chaos, Mirabelle escapes behind the wall because she follows the group of rats. Right. Um, and that is where she finds Bruno, who's been hiding out in the house the entire time. With she, Hernando. With Hernando. She asks Bruno for another vision, which he reluctantly grants her because he's not doing visions anymore because he's completely self-conscious about it. Thanks, Abuela. There, they see that Mirabelle must follow a butterfly before hugging and reconciling with her sister, Isabella, because the vision is all over the place. He can't really follow it. There's no real structure to it. He's sort of just seeing pieces of it. When Mirabelle tries to speak to Isabella, initially Isabella refuses, telling Mirabelle that she ruined her life. She also admits that she hates the pressure of being perfect all the time and that she was only marrying Mariano for the good of the family. Upon stating this, she creates not a flower, but a cactus. She becomes thrilled with this release, makes amends with Mirabelle, hugs her, and that causes the candle to grow brighter. Um, and it's burning brighter as well. Okay, let's talk about... Bruno. Bruno. This knocking on wood, avoiding cracks on the floor... It's all very funny. The superstitions that he now has, because of what his life has turned into, I thought that was funny. And I also love the fact that he was doing everything in his power to fill those cracks because, I mean, he was, and they, they say it in the film here, that he was doing what he had to do to protect Mirabelle. So just like it's crazy when you think about it because you know that these cracks are forming now. They've been cracking the whole time. But imagine how much worse it would have been and how much earlier it would have happened had it not been for Bruno physically patching these holes. I mean, I think those are his cracks. I don't think that those are Mirabelle's or maybe maybe they are now. But I think they started off as his because he felt like he needed to disappear. Perhaps, and again, this is what Abuela did to him. It's what she did to her own son, which, if you think about it, is pretty despicable. Right, and that's the thing. It's it's a very funny scene with him tapping on the walls and doing the the no the telenovela with the rats and everything. Right, but it's also incredibly sad when you see that not only has he been there the entire time because he loves his family so much he didn't actually want to leave them but he's behind the dining room he's watching them have dinner every single night without him there and he's he made himself a place setting so that he could like still be a part of the family meal every night it is so sad it is and I got to be honest with you, I'm really impressed with John Leguizamo here. Heck yeah. Because I love John Leguizamo. 
for what John Leguizamo is. Right. And he's incredibly typecast, but you love him for it. He pulls off the comedy almost as well, and I can't believe I'm saying this, almost as well as he pulls off the drama. I actually think that in this case, he does the drama better than he does the comedy. And that's not a shot at the jokes so much as it is a compliment to his acting. I think this is probably, in spite of the fact that it's voice acting, I think this is his best performance. I don't know. I love the movie Chef way Chef's too close. much. But it's very close. This, he's the sidekick in that movie. This, it, it's it's him and Mirabelle. They're, they're partners in this. Even though he comes in later in the movie, I think he's just as much of the main character as she is. Um, yeah, I I just absolutely love him in this role. And I know a lot of people joke about the, how butthurt Lin-Manuel Miranda is that he wrote this role for himself and didn't get to play it. I don't know. I don't know that it was ever his. And I don't know that he, he would have given it the same delivery or or the same heart the way John Leguizamo does. Leguizamo was just spectacular. Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry, but LMM is a little bit too nasal for this part. Yeah, and I think you also need somebody like a John Leguizamo. He's always done not impressions because he can't really do impressions, but he always like He's like the best character that ever came out of Saturday Night Live, even though I don't think he was... No, he was not from Saturday Night Live, but like he should have been on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, where, where he does that Hernando thing. It's like, this is just so John Leguizamo to do this. You know what I'm saying? So it only makes sense that he would be the one to play this character. Yeah, he definitely brought a much needed lightheartedness to an otherwise sad scene but this it's also a very uplifting scene because then Antonio follows them there because the rats told him right and he just shows up use my room there's space to do the vision yeah just so cute and you know he barely even knows this nephew but he trusts him not to rat him out yeah it it just it it actually speaks a lot to the character that, again, he loves his family so much he can just blindly trust this kid to not tell Abuela. And then, you know, he, he has his next vision and Mirabelle knows what she needs to do. And there's that incredibly sweet moment where he goes back into the wall and she tells him that once I save the miracle, I'm bringing you home. It's such a great line. It's it, very on the nose, but it's great. It is. The next song is What Else Can I Do, sung by Diane Guerrero, who plays Isabella. Um, I think that this is a great moment for Isabella. I love the cactus. I love that she makes the cactus. And it's something that is prickly and it's sharp. You know, if you think about it, like a cactus kind of has an attitude, right? More so than a flower or different than a flower. Um, I love the fact that that's what she makes. I love that they bring, we don't talk about Bruno, at least the melody, back into this song and they tie it in. But I love what this means, not just for Isabella, but also for Mirabelle, because 
this whole time, Mirabelle has really lived under the shadow of her older sister, not only because she didn't get her gift, but because, as she says in the family Madrigal, she's a perfect golden child. She almost says it with, like, a disdain. Um, That's the first time you know that it's not as perfect as they're making it out to be and that there's something brewing under the surface. Right. So I love this moment for both characters. I agree. I love seeing Isabella break because we haven't spent too much time with her yet. Obviously all the focus has been on the proposal, but up until this moment, the way that Louisa embraces being the strong one, well, no, but she's got her own set of issues too, is that everybody just puts it on her and never asks if she's okay and or if she needs anything or nobody ever gives her a break. But because Isabella is the quote-unquote perfect sister, you don't realize that she's experiencing the same thing. And every time her and Mirabelle have butt heads, you think it's because Mirabelle, she makes it seem like Mirabelle's in her way and that she looks down on Mirabelle the same way that Abuela does. And that's not it at all. It's that Isabella has had as much pressure on her to be perfect as Louisa has, as Julieta has to heal everyone, as Peppa has to keep her temper under control. Isabella might have had it the worst out of anyone because she was about to marry someone and, you know, keep expanding the family just for the sake of this gift. There is actually um, a deleted scene where Mirabelle followed Isabella off into the woods where she meets her, her real boyfriend and the person that she wants to be with. Um, I don't know that you necessarily needed something like that but I kind of wish that Mirabelle had figured this out without having to get Bruno's vision and it came from a place the same way that she helped Louisa I wish that was the same way she had helped Isabel especially because it's so on the nose like once she gets the vision and once she has you know the green slate I have to hug Isabella. That's it. You know, it's so on the nose. It's so she's taking it so literal. Yeah. And I feel like there should have been more of. Of her looking inside herself to realize that. Right. I mean, look, they do follow the vision literally to a T. And as soon as she hugs her sister and they do make that amends, that Encanto does burn bright again and so you can sort of forgive it for that um because it does ultimately what it was supposed to do or at least what it, what it, what it was supposed to do in, in a fraction of that vision because as we pointed out that vision was sort of all over the place but abuela who should be thrilled that the encanto is coming back right instead is furious with Mirabelle. And when she scolds her, Mirabelle accuses her of tearing the family apart, causing the casita to fall, the candle to burn out, and the family to lose all of their powers, which makes all of the sense in the world. But what doesn't make sense to me, and 
perhaps it's because they're all afraid of her. But how is it that no one has realized that it's Abuela that is destroying the miracle? I mean, Mirabel nearly dies, literally trying to save the candle, and no one gets it. And the thing is, again, I don't think this comes from us having seen the film multiple times. I was thinking this when we saw the film the first time. Right. And the problem is that the characters at this point have called her out so many times for being harsh to Mirabelle. And now you have both of Mirabelle's sisters saying they can't handle the pressure of it. You've had Bruno run away because of the pressures. How is it not clear to anybody? Are they all that intimidated by her or are they just living in a fantasy where they don't see that she's the root of all of this? No, I think it's the intimidation because that's the thing. The the pressure that she is putting on them is taking them down one by one by one, starting with Bruno and him leaving. Obviously, Louisa is feeling it, but the candle is burning brighter, not just because Mirabelle repaired a relationship. It's because Isabella figured it out for herself. Right. That she doesn't have to live up to this family expectation and she's happy now. I think that's why it burned brighter even more so than Mirabelle mending the fence with her. I I think because we really haven't talked about this yet because the house is a character really. Right. That's why even as the magic is falling apart and the house is crumbling, the house is still at the same time trying to save Mirabelle and get, you know, Camilo makes the attempt, Isabella makes the attempt to get up there and get the candle and save the magic. The house is helping them. And then as they fall, the house catches them. And same with Mirabelle as everything crumbles, it shelters her. Uh, and that's because the house is just as much a character as any one of the family members. And even though it is enchanted, it's still separate from that candle and it can still act of its own will to make sure that they're, that they're cared for. So that's why I'm more inclined to think that they're intimidated because they can't ignore the house. Let me ask you another question. Because Abuela should just be so thrilled that the candle is burning brighter again. Is some of her animosity towards Mirabelle due to the fact that Mirabelle has been told by Abuela multiple times to stop, Mirabelle's not listening, but also fixing the problem? Does Abuela see that she is not, in fact, in control of the situation the way that she thinks and is there a bit of animosity towards Mirabelle who was not a chosen child because she didn't get a gift and yet she's the one that's fixing fixing the Encanto do you see what I'm saying I do and that could possibly be why they don't have that bond because Neither of them have the gifts, but Mirabelle can contribute more than she can. Right. I mean, uh, Abuela's contributing plenty, just not in the way that you want her to. 
But honestly, none of that matters because it all gets unraveled in the next song. Right. So Mirabelle runs away. Abuela, hours later, finds her by the river where Pedro died. And that's where Abuela admits to putting too much pressure on the family. And as a butterfly arrives, just as they saw in Bruno's vision, they embrace. Let's talk about the song Dos Araguitas. Uh, incredible. Not overlooked. This was nominated for an Oscar. It was performed at the Oscars. Uh, just as... Actually, this one at least got the full song. Yeah. Whereas Bruno was mixed in with a, a whole bunch of other Megan things happening. And, and they, they cut out the best part the seven foot frame whatever we already talked about it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna touch it uh yeah to me i mean admittedly i don't speak spanish but what is incredible about this song is that you don't need to speak the language to understand the meaning it comes through the pain the heartache the hope everything about it came through even just from listening to the song and without watching the sequence, there, there's this song is just a feeling. You don't necessarily need the visual, uh, even though the the visual is completely heart wrenching. But I was completely able to understand it even before I heard it in English. And in English, my God, it's it's just as beautiful, just as haunting. It it's truly incredible. This song and the sequence and the animation and, and how you see all of it play out, this is up-level version of heart-wrenching and yet wonderful at the same time. Not since Up have you seen something like this. Honestly, I think that this is in the top five Disney deaths because usually anytime something like this happens, there's a cutaway. And you'll see the reactions to it, but Abuela's reaction here is quite possibly worse than actually seeing what happens to Pedro. We have never seen a Disney character in so much pain. It, it, it just leaves you gutted right along with her, knowing what she had to watch, seeing her with these three babies, after seeing their love story play out. And then having to leave your home. And that is why, obviously, the casita is so important to her. And we know this. We know that she lost everything. But they do such a good job of villainizing her. You forgot how much was at stake and how much she lost. And all she is concerned with is keeping a roof over her family's head. Because there was once upon a time she didn't know how she was going to do that. And... That was why I raised that question in the beginning is, do you think it was worth showing the flashback? I don't think even having seen it that this doesn't land as hard. It lands. However, I don't think at the end of the day, it justifies her behavior. It explains why she is the way that she is. It certainly gives levity to why she cares so much about the casita and the miracle. 
But it doesn't justify her behavior. It doesn't justify how poorly she treats Mirabelle. It doesn't justify the fact that when Mirabelle starts to solve the problem of this Encanto and this miracle and this casita that you hold so dearly that you would continue to shut her down. It doesn't justify the fact that you treat your granddaughter like garbage. It doesn't justify the fact that you drove your only son away because he told you something you didn't want to hear. Um... It's a great moment, but in a way, it sort of falls on deaf ears because I feel like instead of fixing Abuela or instead of having Abuela face her her problems, face her demons, they use this horribly tragic instance to turn you, the viewer into her corner where it's just like, oh, she went through that. Oh, okay. It's all right. Okay. It's okay now. I completely agree. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I gotta be honest. I didn't, I didn't think you would. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> no, because like, like that's the thing. She has been so horrible and put so much pressure on people. Like what? We're supposed to pity you now. We do. I'm not glossing over what she went through at all. It's killer. The sequence is absolutely terrible. And and to see, you know, how young she was, too, and what she was faced with. But that's that's exactly it. You lost your husband. This is the worst thing that has ever happened to you. And then on top of that, you drove your son away and you're about to drive several of your grandchildren away. Yeah, I mean, look. Maria Cecilia Botero played the role well. I, I think for what she was supposed to be, like you've said a few times, you ha- you don't have a villain per se, so you had to villainize her. I think she knocked it out of the park. But that's a portrayal of a character. It doesn't make the character better. Right, and... That's sort of where I still don't know where I stand with Abuela because she's not someone that you love to hate. She's just such a paradox. I don't understand how you've gone through what you've gone through and you're still not treating your family as the most precious gift. And I I guess that's the lesson she had to learn and I guess that's her crack that needed to be patched up. But... I feel like it just went too far to prove that point. Agreed. Agreed. Well, now that they've made amends, uh, Mirabelle, Abuela, and Bruno arrive back at the village where the townsfolk are helping them rebuild their home. And when Mirabelle installs the front doorknob, which her family gives her, as a token of gratitude and appreciation for all that she has done, the casita comes back to life and all of their magic is restored. Um, Little Antonio, we made this one for you. I can't. It kills me every time. I can't. All of you. Um, That's the song. Um, I think it's a wonderful conclusion. I think it's a great moment. Um, It was predictable. Um, uh, You knew, I think, early on that this was ultimately going to be what 
what Mirabelle does. Um, you knew that this was going to be her magic. This would be her gift. Um, but it didn't make it any less spectacular or wonderful. Um, and you're happy for the family that they got all of their gifts back. Um, but the ending is a bit abrupt. Um, I said that the pacing of this film had been good the whole time. Mirabelle runs away. Abuela finds her, realizes, oops, I shouldn't have done this. Let's hug it out. Let's go back to the house and the movie's over. It, it, for a movie that has a runtime of nearly two hours, at an hour and 52 minutes, you could have found five more minutes. And I kind of felt like the movie just snapped and it was over. Um, I mean, that's really my only critique with how the film ends. I don't disagree with you, but I don't... I, I don't know what else... I would have done differently because everything does get tied back up in a bow. I mean, Mirabelle mends the fence with her grandmother. They rebuild the house. They all recognize that Mirabelle has been the one that's been holding them together the entire time. And she is responsible for putting them back together now. And that's why they give her the doorknob. And, and it's also a nice full circle moment for her that, no, you don't have the gift. You didn't get your door, but we're giving you the most important door. Um, I think they could have spent a little bit more time repairing the relationship with Bruno because, you know, Peppa and Julieta are looking at him like he came back from the dead, which for all intents and purposes he has, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then he feels like he needs to explain himself. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't predict it was going to rain on your wedding day. I could just see that you were sweating and I was trying to let you know I was supporting you. You know, that, that doesn't change the fact that you've been gone for what, 15 years. And if anything, they should be, uh, he doesn't have to justify himself. They should be apologizing to him, which yeah. Abuela never does. Mind never you, does. she hugs him, never does, but she won't back down that Abuela. Um, so I think they could have spent just a, had more time there um i think dolores ends in a great place we didn't really delve into you know her her thing was the man of my dreams was betrothed to another and she benefit from isabella figuring everything out and mirabelle helping her so really that was two birds for mirabelle i suppose uh camilo's camilo he he doesn't really I mean he doesn't have an arc really at all. So he's very much a background character. Yeah, he's fun, he, but he that's is. all he is is comic relief. Um so you didn't really need to land him in a certain spot. Um I think I think Mirabelle deserved an apology for from her parents for not standing up for her or not standing up to Abuela on her behalf. Uh, the most you get is her mom is so relieved that, you know, she came back. Uh, and then we see Louisa get her much-deserved break, but I don't know how how she confronted her issues, really. We, we just know that she's resting. Okay, fine. But I wouldn't necessarily say that she had a full arc. Agreed. I, I think, you know... It, it could a little been a little bit stronger, especially because those are Mirabelle's sister. I, I mean, I, I know 
they are all together living in this house, but that should be the closest relationship to her as both of her sisters. And we don't really see that strengthened other than her relationship with Isabella. Right. Uh, okay, so in conclusion, um, this is a near-perfect film for me. Um, the soundtrack is near-perfect. Um, I think the story's basically perfect. I think you just... Without a without a true villain, I think that Abuela, it's just so obvious the whole time. And when the movie and when the characters call it out and yet ignore it at the same time, that is a bit of a flaw. Um, do I think the movie's better than Coco? I think the screenwriting in this is better than Coco. I think the... I think the dialogue is better than Coco. I don't think the soundtrack is as good, although it's pretty damn close. Um, it It's near perfect. The film is near perfect. Um, I love Coco. I gave that one a perfect. You did not because of one line of dialogue. There's a couple of lines, but okay. Um, Move on. Did Encanto deserve the Oscar? 1,000 million percent. There's no yes. question about it. Yeah. I'm not just saying that as a fan. It's competition was very strong, but there is no way that this didn't win. There's, there's just no way it absolutely deserved it. No questions asked. Is it perfect? I want to say yes. And it's so close and it has nothing to do with with abuela that's making it not perfect for me she is i am angry at her for all of the right reasons because they did a good enough job of developing this character so far that she just gets under my skins in every single way that she is supposed to right that's not my issue there are just the couple of things that we mentioned where Sometimes it is a little bit too on the nose with the prophecies, which I do think that you can certainly overlook. But for a film that doesn't have like a hero's journey, sort of beginning, middle and end, and is so rooted in character and the family dynamic, to not have all of the characters fully arc that is where it's just a hair shy of perfect. I mean, like I said, I don't necessarily, I I can't think of a different way to end it. So I don't necessarily think that that's a fair knock against it. Uh, But it's just one, one element that stops it from being completely perfect. But what I will say is that, I mean, I am completely changed from the first viewing. Upon first viewing, I had said on Monoreal in a minute that I missed the journey that Coco goes on or that that Miguel goes on in Coco. Uh, I think if you had done something like that in Encanto, then it would have just felt like a ripoff of Coco. So and what's more impressive about it is that it does take place seemingly in one setting. You know, they use the house to 
to make Mirabelle feel trapped. It's not just the cracks. It's that she is literally trapped within those walls until she can confront all these demons and, and these issues with the family. Um, and the more you watch it, the more you do get out of it and the more you can understand it as a character study. And it is so much stronger than I initially gave it credit for. I, I don't care that there's no journey. You don't need one because there is so much happening just between all of these family members. Um, and, and I guess what that is my long way of saying, like the rewatchability is there 1000%. We want to know what you have to say about Encanto. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for media kits or print and graphic design, perhaps you need save the dates or thank you cards or table numbers for an event, or maybe you're just looking for that piece of home decor that is Disney inspired. Kelly has you covered. Plus listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code monorail 10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that she has to offer at karma and kismet designs.com. That's karma, the letter N kismet designs.com. So some more Oscar news this week, Cruella, and this should surprise no one wins best costume design. I mean, we talked almost at nauseum when we reviewed Cruella about how much we loved the costumes. I think we even said then it should be nominated, and if it doesn't win, I don't know what's going to beat it. Well, it turns out that it was literally the best, deservingly so. Yeah, that would have been highway robbery if it didn't win. Uh, it absolutely deserves it. Um it was also nominated for makeup, but Tammy Faye got that one, which I kind of get. I mean, Jessica Chastain had to sit in that chair for a long time every day to get in the makeup. But uh, that's not to say it wasn't incredible. It was I, I love the makeup just as much as I love the costumes. But there, there was some tough competition in that category. For sure. And if you are a Disney Parks fan, you have to be excited right now. And I know is new locals... I am very excited right now because after long last, the Hoop-dee-doo musical review is coming back. Let's raise the roof. I want my strawberry shortcake. I want my yingling. I want my fried chicken. You can start getting it again on June 23rd. They're going to start taking reservations on May 26th. Yes. But you can start eating again on June 23rd. I'm so happy. I mean, we're going to do it. We, we've got to do it. We got to do it early. Absolutely. I feel like this is such a thing that was like big in the 90s and people forget about now. If you haven't done it, do yourself the favor. It is such a great show. It's so much fun. The, the Pioneer Hall is incredible. Yeah. 
And I don't think that people realize it is all you can eat and all you can drink. They serve beer. You get pitchers of yingling. And sangria. I think they have the sangria too. If you wanted a wine. Believe they, their sangria. They do. We've just never got it. <laughs> Stick with the yingling. It's good. It, but for what you're getting for the value, I yeah. think people shy away from that ticket price. But you're getting a Broadway quality show and an all-you-can-eat family style. It's not a buffet. They just bring it to you in buckets. And the cornbread. The cornbread is worth the price of admission. And the, I mean, the food is excellent. The it really is. The quality of the food is through the roof. You know, it's been a long time coming. I'm excited that as as Disney locals we can go. I'm excited that Disney Park guests... If they're going on vacation, we'll have the opportunity to see it. And I uh, to see it, and I'm so happy that these cast members are finally able to go back to work. Not just the performers, but the servers. Yes, it's it's so it's overdue. I'll just say it; it's overdue. It should have been back already. I don't care. Come at me. If the buffets were back, this could have been back. But it is coming back. It's coming back soon. And I am excited, and and I know you're excited, but we want to know if you, our friend, are excited about the return of the Hoop-dee-doo review. Do you plan on going? Do you think Cruella deserved the Oscar? We want to hear from you. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just mentioned that social media. We are also on TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Make sure you like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything that is Monoreal Radio, it can be found online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.